Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. see our title this week or for VBS is what we're going to do is take a break from our regular scheduled Elijah to share with you what we shared with your children. I think it's important for you to know and hopefully you asked and interacted with your, your kids during the week and even if you didn't maybe uh, you weren't part of that. I want to share with you what we shared with the children. I think that's important as we talked about the incredible race and the theme was one family one race, one Savior. That was what we were impressing upon them, is that is what God shares with us, is that we're one family, one race, and one Savior. It seems like our nation, and I think you understand this as well, is that our nation is very divided. And it's being torn apart from pressures, both from inside and from outside. One of the charges against America and even the churches uh, uh, and Christians today is the way that we treat people, especially those outside of our race, our belief system and social structures. And there is some truth to the charge. Uh, Christians and people that believe in the Bible and proclaim Christ have used the Bible and used scripture to perpetuate things that are sinful and that things that God hates. We see in this world, whether you're on Twitter or Facebook, in the news, everyone is angry and everyone is crying foul against one another. Everyone is urged to pick a side, grab a sign, a slogan and a stone in defense against others and against their critics. And this should not surprise us, as you and I know, that sin is entrenched in the hearts of all men and women. And this is how it manifests itself through anger. But as you know, has even reached the pews and the pulpits of those that proclaim Christ. And that's the sadness. It's a saddening and it's frustrating. And it should be a matter of concern for all of those that love Christ and are called to love others. Nation against nation, political party against political party, social group against social group, families against families, friendship against friendship is now part of the norm. Civility has been lost. Tolerance, real tolerance, is a facade. But you and I must understand that this is a temporary view. This is a temporary condition from earth. What we'd like to share with you is what we shared with your children is this verse here that's found on a monitor, and it's a view from heaven. It's found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10 where it says John is looking into heaven and he says, After this I looked and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. What were they doing? It says that they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Father, we just come before you and we thank you for this vision on heaven. But yet when we see that we realize that that is not the condition here on earth. 
for instead of coming together and proclaiming that you are Lord and that salvation belongs to you, we have grabbed whatever is next to us. We have grabbed the grudge, the resentment, a bitterness, and we are hurling them at others. Instead of loving others, Father, we have found them to be our enemy. Father, we just come before you to understand that, to ask forgiveness where appropriate, to ask for a changed heart. And Father, that you would come and help us to see what your word has to say into these difficulties, into these divisions and problems we face. We thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So if, if this is the view of heaven, the question I have to ask is what went wrong? Why are we not all together of every nation, every people, and every trung loving and coming and proclaiming that salvation belongs to the Lord? What went wrong? Well, you know the answer, but here's what we shared with the children. The first is that we see is that there is a ready, set, go before Babylon. We race through Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 11 to understand what went wrong, why this vision is no longer or not one that we see here on earth. Now, as you know, Genesis 1-1 starts with the phrase, what? In the beginning. Thank you. <clears throat> and from there we read, we read how God created the heavens, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. He then moves to make this world inhabitable by bringing into existence water and land and breathable air. He then causes all sorts of trees and plants and shrubs along with vegetables and fruits to grow. He then creates a variety of animals to fill the water, the sky and the land. And all of these he created and spoke in existence by the power of his word. We then read that by his hand then, he comes down and he fashions his greatest creation, man and women. To them he gives the creation mandate to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We also see not only with that command, he also gave them in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. He says that of every tree you may surely eat, it has been given to you in joy. But he went on to give them this command. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And if you eat, you shall surely die. We know that part of the story. And as most of us know, they failed terribly at that command, did they not? They disobeyed the commands of God, throwing all of creation under the curse of sin that brings death. Yet God demonstrated his love, his mercy, and his grace by clothing them and protecting them from eating of the tree of life, which would have cursed them into eternal life of sin and misery. And in his love and grace, he recommissioned them to continue to multiply and fill the earth, albeit now creation would now work against them. Things would not be easy. <clears throat> However, this did not change their behavior. It did not change their heart. Nor did it cause their descendants, their children, to obey God either. As we continue reading in Jesus we begin to see the cycle of sin. And as you look in the monitor, I want to show you that sin cycle as it progresses through the generations to come. Let's look at the first one on the next slide. 
You see, there's Adam and Eve, and we see the first sin, the disobedience against God of taking of that tree. Adam or Eve listened to the serpent, misused the word of God. And then Adam failed to protect and guard the garden from the serpent, but he also failed to protect and guard his wife. Men, that's what we're called to do is protect and guard them. He failed to do so, plunging us all into sin. As we go to the second slide, the second cycle, you see that then falls to their children as Cain and Abel. And as you know the story, God, they brought offerings to the Lord. God gave approval to Abel, but not to his older brother Cain. Cain got angry and bitter. He rejected what God had to say. God warned him, but yet in his anger, he rises up and kills his brother. The first children, one kills another. Sin now finds its root deep into the human heart. And then as we move to the third cycle, we see that God looks upon the earth and sees that every intention of its heart is evil. And he says, I repent for making them. I'm going to destroy. But yet he calls a family of Noah, eight people, and says, build this ark and I will save and preserve humanity through you. But yet even then we know that soon after coming from the ark and receiving that covenant of God that he will never flood the earth with water again, destroy it. Again, the family again quickly goes into sin. And then the fourth cycle, we see the Tower of Babel, where all of humanity and all people, as they come to gather, gather, they reject God instead of doing what God had told them to do. Now, this failure to conform to the moral law of God in their actions, in their attitude, and in their nature demonstrates the truth that's found in Romans 3.23, as you look here with me. Scripture says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we shared this with your children, that all are born with sin. Even my little grandson coming up to a year next month, little Michael and Isaac and, and Joel and Lily, all these children that have been born to us, are born with this condition, a heart that is full of sin and all fall short of the glory of God. And this charge against us is not my charge against you. It's not a charge of a parent to a disobedient child. It's not the charge of a magistrate to his citizen. But this, this charge of being guilty is made by a holy God who looks upon us. And he declares that the punishment of sin in Romans 6.23 is what? death. However, that's not the end of God's story. In Genesis chapter 11, we read that God once again intervenes in the affairs of men as we continue with the, the, the Tower of Babel. And what we see in the Tower of Babel as we move to Genesis chapter 10 and then chapter 11, what you read there is, is again, man is rebelling against God, but what you're going to see that God is actually now going to put a roadblock Lovingly, he's going to put a roadblock in men's in, in, the, in, the, in, in front of man. After the flood, God once again had commanded Noah and his sons in Genesis 9-1 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yet as we continue in the story, we see that they fulfilled the, 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 the to be fruitful and multiply part. They did that part, but they did not fill the earth. They did not disperse. Instead, they congregated in one area. <clears throat> 
If you have your Bibles and want to turn to Genesis 11.1, you can keep that up there, Ben. We're going to get to it in a moment. In Genesis 11.1, if you just want to read that part of the story with me, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. In other words, what that's saying is they could communicate to one another very easily and quickly. They all had one language. They all used the same words. In other words, the words had the same meanings. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there, the Bible tells us. And they said to one another, come, let us let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said in verse four, come, let us build ourselves a city. Let's build ourselves a tower with its tops in the heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Their desire was to make a name for themselves, to to stay here. In other words, we don't want to break up. Let's stay together in total rebellion against God's command. But look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, one language, And this is only the beginning of what we'll do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth and they left off the building of the city. What we understand is they had one language in common. We read that they had no intention to follow God's command at all. Instead, they desired to make a name for themselves, once again, to make them above God. They had one common language, and that enabled them to to rebel against God in greater ways. Hence, when he says nothing is impossible, because what prevents us from doing the greatest things is communication error, right? Is communication problems. He says, if we don't confuse them, they'll be able to do whatever they want. Their rebellion against me will have no end. God's answers confuse them by giving them different languages and making it harder for them to communicate. Hence, you see, and it was called Babel. It means confusion. That's what the term means. Because here the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. He had to go down and forcibly move them to get them to obey the commandment. Now, this passage demonstrates both God's judgment, mercy, and grace. You say, that seems kind of odd. All I see here is judgment. Well, you do see judgment in confusing their language to make it harder to communicate. And for you and I, that's one of the greatest reasons why we have such division in the world today. It's hard to communicate. But he also gave them mercy by not destroying them for their disobedience. And he gave them his grace by actually making it harder for them to sin together as one large people. We don't usually think of that, but that's that's why we say that God lovingly gives them a roadblock. He knows that their hearts are towards evil. He learned that with Noah. Well, he didn't learn it, he knew it. He understood the, the hearts of man. But what he does is he, he prevents them. He makes it harder for them to combine together to rebel against them. God puts a speed bump in their pursuit of sin as a population. 
And as we go back to Genesis chapter 10, we read of all the nations then that come from this dispersion. It is from here that we see the earth begins to be filled by different families that become nations with different languages, cultures, and social structures, which what we have here today is because of God's loving roadblock. But what you and I must understand as we come to that and what we wanted to share with the children is that means that there is actually only one race. Yes, many nations after, ba after Babel, but one race. You see, this was God's plan all along. In the Apostle Paul's message to the city citizens of Athens, he remarks, I believe this verse might be up here, at least a portion of it, Acts 17.26, says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, <clears throat> having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they may seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet, Scripture tells us he is not far from each of us. But what we understand is that God made from one man every nation. You see, that's why we say one race. What we must understand here is that there are not many races. And I want you to listen and hear what I have to say here. But there's only one. Science would actually tell you this. Biologists will actually tell you this. But unfortunately, the satanic lie of Darwinism has found its root in our worldview by proclaiming that there are many different races, different types of people, and some are inferior and some are superior than others. And this error in thinking has given root and watered the sinful attitudes of racism, prejudice, and bias that still tears away at the fabric of society today and even churches. Again, this is a tool that is used by Satan to destroy what God has created. Scripture teaches us that we are all one race, part of the same family, and we're related through the very first creation of man, Adam and Eve. Again, just, I, I, you probably may not be able to see that very well, but what we see is there's Adam and Eve. And then there's sons and daughters. And then there's Noah. And yes, there's the Tower of Babel. And yes, the world would disperse. And we have different cultures and different people. And yes, what we would say, different ethnicities. But no matter what you look like, no matter what you eat, whether what part of the world you're from, there is only one race. And Satan has used this thing of different races to bring in such hateful things. And I'd have to tell you that, that it's shameful that even the Christian church in its history, especially American history, has used scripture to teach and to preach and to um, live out in a way in which racism and bigotry and prejudice was accepted. I give you just a, I wasn't going to share this, but just a simple example. We had a principal of our school that I grew up, and after we graduated, he went to become a pastor in one of the southern states. It was a white church. He was preaching and teaching, but then he was called into the deacon's office, and the deacon says, listen, you cannot bring the African Americans in here to this church and make them members. 
the KKK was still alive in that church. He wasn't, he didn't realize it. He tried to share them through scripture. What are you talking about? He wound up losing his job. And you and I need to understand there is only one race. We are all related as it comes through as, as, as long distant cousins, so to speak. Instead of loving one another as God has commanded, we have hated, despised, and treated with disrespect those that are different from us. We have bought into the lie that color and race separates us. This is a lie that must be destroyed in our churches, in our politics, in our social uh, structure. But let me tell you, it needs to be done in our heart as well. And it finds itself in more than just our history of slavery. It finds in the way in how we view other people and what even is going today, whether it's at our borders or in another country. It finds itself there. Yet you and I cannot destroy this on our own. You and I have to understand that our hearts are depraved and we do not have the ability to love others as God has commanded. You and I need to recognize that there's only one way to solve this. We felt this is important to share with your children and with you. For our hearts holds the vestiges of this error, these sinful attitudes. You and I must need to recognize that there is only one way to solve this, and that's Jesus and the gospel. Over the years, we have tried many different ways to solve our problems. We've eagerly looked for the next political, social, cultural leader who has all the answers and is ready to lead us to the promised land of peace and prosperity and civility, only to be let down time after time. The problem is, is that we keep looking towards the wrong direction and the wrong solutions. You and I do not need political heroes. We do not need life coaches or life mentors. We do not need social influencers. We do not need cultural icons. No, the world desperately, desperately needs a savior. One, thank you, who can satisfy the judgment against rebellious sinners. One who can earn our righteousness before a holy God. And one that can change the heart of disobedient children like you and I. The Bible tells us that God did just that in 1 John 4.14. It's here on the screen. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Through Jesus, you and I can be right with God and our fellow man. This is done when you and I understand that you and I are eternally lost and under the judgment of a holy God. We are born in that condition. That you and I are deserving of death, which is eternal separation of God and his goodness, not from God. Let me tell you, in hell, people think, well, we're separated from God. No, hell is, is the eternal wrath of God. But you're separated from God's goodness forever. That's your natural state. You must understand that Jesus came in this world to save sinners. And he did this by living a perfect, obedient life to the Father, doing all what the law commands. 
And in doing this, he did what you and I could never do. Hence why it says we fall short. That gap is too big for you and I to bridge. Not only that, Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin that was due. For the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death. Christ paid that on my behalf. We also have to understand that God accepted Christ's obedience in life and death. God will not accept your good works. He will not accept your attendance here today, your giving, your, your, your acts of charity. He will only accept what Christ has done on your behalf. That's so important. If you haven't done that today, if you haven't accepted that, trusted that, and relied on that, I'm here to tell you that, that you are lost and you are without hope. My desire is that there is no one that's hearing my voice, either here today or through the web, that's listening to this message at a later time, that will not hear these words and be struck to the heart and realize that there is nothing that you can do to eternal life. No sacraments can do it. I'm here to share with you, it's not about Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian. It's about trusting what Christ has done, that God has applied Christ's punishment at the cross to our account, that he applied Christ's perfect righteousness to our account, that he raised Christ from the dead, thereby defeating both sin and death. And with that, he has made us joint heirs with Christ. If you have not yet come to that decision, would you do so today? Today is the day of salvation. Do not trust in your own. However, what Christ accomplished is only for those that have recognized that they are sinners deserving of God's wrath and judgment. You must accept all that Christ has done for us, not trusting in any merit of your own. You must repent of your dead sins. And you may say, well, what's my dead sin? My, my trying to make my own religion, trying to make myself right with God, whether it's through sacraments, whether it's through Lord, the ordinances of the church, whether it's good works, attending church, you must recognize that those are dead to Christ, dead to God. All, our, all of our sin is, what's, what's the phrase? Uh, help me out, um, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags to him. Unacceptable. Not only must we repent of our dead sins, we must put our trust in God's acceptance of Christ's work. Only in I stand. Hence why when, when Brandon, Brandon and Emily were singing, all I have is Christ. I pray that that's your testimony. All I have is Christ. When I get to heaven, I will not be carrying any bag of good works. When Peter says, why should I let you in my heaven? I would say, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. That's all you have. If you're holding into anything else, you're in danger of being doomed. You must submit to the lordship of Christ in your life. Some say, well, I'll just ask Jesus in my heart and then I'll make him savior of my life, Lord of my life later. No, it's all part and parcel. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then turns around is fit to, for the kingdom. He says, if you want me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. Scripture tells us 
that it's God that changes our hearts. Not only about the sin and our sinful condition, but also about who God is and His holiness. And I think that's the problem. That you and I don't really know who God is. We don't understand His holiness. Yeah, He's love. Yeah, God loves me. God will forgive me anything. And that is true. But if you feel that you can continue in your sin and your sinful attitudes and sinful behaviors before a holy God, then you do not know God of the Scriptures. But we also need to recognize that it's only God who can change our hearts towards our neighbor. And I'm saying more than that next door neighbor that has a barking dog or that's just has his lawn looks bad or is always shooting off fireworks. I'm talking about your neighbor that's south of the border. I'm talking about the Muslim that's wanting to kill you. Or the North Korea that is killing, uh, killing Christians. A China that would like to see their socialism grow. Are those our neighbors? Yes. Does that mean that we, 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 we tolerate their behavior or we tolerate certain things? No, obviously not. But we love. Can we go to war and love them? Yes. That's a little bit more complicated of a discussion. I don't think you want me to get into that. But what's your heart attitude towards those you see? If you look at, your, look at the president and all you see is, is hate and anger, the Bible tells you to love and pray for him. And that was whether it was President Obama or President Trump. And I'm not giving an endorsement to either of them. Hence why I say we don't need political, political heroes and icons. We need a savior. It's only when our char- hearts have been changed can we begin to see others as valuable and image bearers of God. Why do they want to abort children? Because they do not see them in the image of God. They would rather continue in their sin and in the convenience of their sin. Now, I implore you this morning, if you have not yet submitted to Christ, repented of your works, turn and trust Him, would you please do so today? Do not delay. Let us show you how you can have eternal life. Today is the day of salvation. Do not leave this building today, this room. And say, this is something I must contemplate and think of. You do not know what days you have left, how much time you have left. You and I can all share stories of those who were good one day, and before they got home, something happened. I don't mean to scare you, but yet, Scripture says for some, you grab them with, the, with, their, with their clothes singed by fire. Don't fear me and what I say. Fear a holy God and facing Him. So I charge you, please, consider a holy God in your condition before Him and humble yourself. And that's my prayer for you. But that's not enough. Because I want to talk to Christians here. Because why should we complain when the world has bigotry and prejudice and racism? They should. That's what I would expect of a disobedient, rebellious children. But what should we expect of those that have repented of their sin, that have come to Christ, that proclaim Christ? We should expect so much more. And that was the last thing we shared with the children. 
is that there was a green light now because Babel matters today. In other words, we need to see that we are all one family, one race with one Savior. Now that God has changed our hearts, we need to demonstrate His love, His mercy, His grace, and His kindness to others. Salvation is more, listen to this, salvation is more than get out of hell free card. It is more than just fire insurance. No, it dramatically changes our perceptions of others and how we treat them. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4.11, our next verse on the monitor, Beloved, if God has loved us, we also ought to what? Love one another. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Get those Bibles out. Again, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. If you need a Bible, I'd love to give you one. This week in VBS, we shared the story, a very famous and familiar one, of the Good Samaritan. He was a man who was seeking to justify himself to Jesus, that he was a good man, and he asked Jesus, how does one attain eternal life? In response, Jesus asked him what the law of Moses had to say, and this man responded correctly. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, what does the law of Moses say? This man responded correctly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, Jesus said, and you will live. Do this and you will live. But he, the man desiring to justify himself, said, well, then who is my neighbor? He's looking for loopholes. Who exactly do I have to love? And in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells us a story. So let's read it. It's very simple. Jesus replied in verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him. They beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now you have to remember, now, oh, let me go on. Now by chance, a priest was, was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. One of his brethren, a religious leader, sees him and passes the other side, ignoring the man and his needs in verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, another religious man, comes by to the place, saw him, and what did he do? He passed by the other side. But in verse 33, a Samaritan. And you need to recognize the Samaritan was considered a half-breed by Jews. They were part of that 10 northern kingdom that we were talking about in Elijah, and we'll get back to that next week. They were those that were half-Jews and half-Greek uh, or half uh, Syrian, half Babylon, they could just be a mixed race. They did not have any love for each other. A Jew would, uh, an Israelite, a Jewish person would, instead of going through Samaria, which was just north of them, they would walk the long way around so they wouldn't have to go through that territory to encounter a Samaritan. So verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was and he saw him. And he had what? Compassion. Thank you. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on all the wine. And I guarantee you that if it was the reversal, it wouldn't have happened. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to the inn and he took care of him. And the next day he looked out, took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will pay. And I'll tell you, if the roles reversed, it probably would have not have happened. But go on. That's not the end of the story. Verse 36, Jesus then looks at the man and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell 
among the robbers. And listen to this. The man could not even say the words, the Samaritan. He couldn't even get it out. He said, well, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, you go and do likewise. And as you see on the screen here, the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan calls believers to treat others with kindness and respect. As Christians, and then we're going to close with this. As Christians, how you perceive and treat others is so important, especially those that are different from us, that have different views from us, either politically, socially, or culturally, and even those that are hostile to our faith. And I will tell you, there is a hostility that is rising against Christianity and is working legally, politically, and culturally, and socially to, to, to squash it and control it. It's a sad note of our American history that we have allowed racism, bigotry, prejudice, and bias blind us to the reality that all people of all cultures, that of, of every nation, are made in the image of God. And here's what we need to understand. They desperately need a Savior. Desperately need a Savior. And I don't think we understand that. I think if we did, our missions would be up. I think we'd be sending out more missionaries. Maybe some of you would see that and desire to be missionaries to share that with people. Yeah, we'll send them some, we'll send them some uh, food, some things when things go bad. We'll send some armies, some navy. We'll send them a nuclear bomb or, you know, whatever. Really what they need is a savior. Because that's what changes cultures. That's what changes hearts. We must never let those sinful attitudes keep us from proclaiming the gospel, inviting them into our lives, and demonstrating God's love to them. One day, one day, going back to the beginning of that verse, one day we will join the heavenly chorus in proclaiming the wonders of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, with all those from around the world. Once again, from every nation, every tribe, singing that Jesus is Lord. Some of those will be there because of our testimony and our love in declaring that there is one family, one race, one Savior. To God be the glory. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take a moment. I know it's a different type of message but one I think that's important for us to understand. Would you take a moment just to pause? Have you accepted Christ? If not, would you do so today? If you are professing Christ, are you loving your neighbor? Not just your physical neighbor, but those that are different from you. Those that are even hostile to our faith. Instead of shaking your fist and being angry and wishing them harm, do we pray for them? Do we share and proclaim the gospel to them?
Would you consider what your response should be this morning? Would you pray to the Holy Spirit? Maybe there's sin to confess. Maybe there's a promise to claim. Maybe there's just a cry for help. Would you respond to the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, in your life this morning? Father, we just come before you and we thank you for your word. And we have to confess there are many times that our hearts betray our sinful attitudes and behaviors as we are not loving and kind, that we have allowed prejudice and biases and racism come into our minds and has prevented us from loving as we should. Let us see that everyone that we come in contact and those even who are hostile and hateful towards us, that they are our brothers and sisters, maybe not in Christ at this moment, but they're our cousins, they're family members. And our desire is to bring them into the family of God with us so that we may spend eternity together. Father, we may not find peace and civility here in this world, but we know that we'll have it into the next. But yet you've called us to continue as ambassadors of Christ to proclaim your truth. Let us not only do it with our mouths, but let us do it with our lives and with our hearts. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.